Hi, I'm Heidi Harriet. Welcome to Doggone Good Information. And welcome my co-host, Tommy Fahey. Hello, Heidi. How are you? I'm good, Tommy. I'm always glad to see you and enjoy our time on the podcast. So, Likewise. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm really kind of sad and upset right now. I taped a podcast prior to this, and um, I want to encourage everybody to check out my podcast, which will be dropping, it'll be December 12th. And um, I interviewed a gal named Mindy Patterson of the Cavalry Group. And one of our, one of the things we talked about was the story of Natural Bridge Zoo in Virginia, where um, animal control officers and uh, just a variety of people went in and confiscated animals and even euthanized animals, took the phones away from the zoo staff and uh, just absolutely horrific i was crying watching the video of the daughter of the owner the owner is uh in the hospital i understand he's not gonna make it um which was something going on prior and then they raid the zoo uh timing could be not coincidental and the daughter's on video uh at channel 10 in the area in virginia taped her and i just can't get it out of my head I'm I'm so disturbed. It's I encourage you to check out that podcast. It's on the same uh, link as the Doggone Good Animal Tales. And again, it dropped. It'll drop 12-12-2023. What and was the reasoning that they uh, went into the zoo and needed to felt like they needed to confiscate animals? Was there some sort yeah. of complaints or basis or what was the issue? Well. That it's so challenging. First of all, it's in Virginia. The Attorney General of Virginia, uh, Michelle, or the last name's escaping me, Wheeler, maybe. Um, ha, it's PETA. PETA's, uh, uh, that's their um, home state, right? Okay. So you're starting with that. And so they have a bias. And um, they the search warrant they brought said they're investigating. Well, typically, like we've heard that there's child abuse in this house or that there's animal abuse. Right. Instead of investigating. So then they did what the classic bullshit of coming in the morning when the animals have been overnight. So there's manure. Mm -hmm. The pens haven't been cleaned yet. The animals hadn't had their morning feeding. I was crying and listening to the, the video. I want everybody to watch it. I hope this will be the change promote some change that people will understand that animal people are not, not the problem. Um, and they took their phones. They were already in the zoo before the animal keepers and caretakers got there early in the morning, big transport vehicles outside in the parking lot, but yet they're just investigating. And yeah, something's off in that way. A lot of people, and um, they took the phones of the caretakers and the owners wouldn't let him on the property initially, made him stay in the parking lot. They didn't get to the animals till two o'clock. That's animal abuse, what yeah. they did. So, I mean, we could talk all day about it. I'm just so incensed about it. But on the other side of it, I want my non-animal friends to watch that and feel that emotion. This woman had to watch them try to get a dart a tiger with a sedative when she could have hand done it sitting next to the tiger. Mm. And they poked the tiger like six times and then got the tiger mad and then got mad at the tiger. Right. 
We see that happen all the time. My sister had it with a zebra. The vet came out and they said they were an exotic animal vet. Zebras will actually die from stress. They're really interesting animals. They do not take stress well. So my sister had a zebra that she hand worked and could lead around. They did his feet holding him, that kind of thing. But the vet came out and wanted him in a squeeze chute. Uh, So they made an impromptu squeeze chute, which you do on the road. The vet took so long to get the blood that the zebra was losing its mind. And my sister is like, stop, just stop. We are not doing this. We are not doing it. But, you know, she's there with a vet. These these people, the owners of the zoo are there and they're they're getting ready. They're going in there. And she said she hears animals screaming. You know, their sounds. Right. We why can't we make people understand that have dogs and that have horses that buy into this emotional, philosophical bullshit? It's not right for the animals. It's not healthy for the animals. Animal experience and best practices, Tommy, we talk about this till we're we're both wearing blue, till we're blue in the (laughs) face. You have to have experience. When I hear an animal person say they standing outside and they're here, they're animals with a different sound and they know that they're stressed. Any, any, any animal person with their salt is going to let the animal people go in there and keep the animals calm. Right. But they didn't want that because they needed video of the animals being agitated and maybe aggressive or whatever, or that they can't move properly so they can euthanize them. So they didn't want the animal people in there and they wouldn't let anybody have their phone or video. That's so, a, a real shame. Not handled appropriately at it's all. organized crime. It's not the first time they did it to a fellow named Keith Wilson four years ago. Took his, And they took the animals. They take the animals away. They euthanized some. They took the animals away. They allowed some animals to fight that usually aren't together. And they got Mm. tore up. But they wouldn't let the animal keepers in there to tell them. Yeah. When there's a a system in place and they know who gets along with who and what their routine is. Special diet, special needs. Yeah. I said, we see you and I are horse experts. We see it with horses. You know, people either won't put horses together that we need to put together and make them, oh, you're going to be fine. Like I always say, it's like a group of school children in the morning. You know, I don't like it. I don't like her. Uh I don't care. We're just, you don't have to be best friends, but everybody's got to get along. And that it's we the emotion that the media and the animal rights groups have allowed to move forward when dealing with animals and the silliness and the, adopting dogs you can't take care of or you're not training and then you blame the dogs you keep them in an apartment that's too small and they never get exercise and you blame the dog right because they're getting into things and they're misbehaving it's all it's virtually always the fault of the human even when the dog is misbehaving it's the fault of the human absolutely because you're in over your head if you can't deal with that you're in over your head mm-hmm. but you don't want to consider the cost of training when you get the dog right, right? So then, then you're in deep and you've got vet bills and now you're like, it's too expensive, you know? Yeah. yeah. So, and don't blame the animal, the animal community. My podcast, Animal Tales, I start it by saying it's about people who love, care for, and work with animals, experts. Mm-hmm. And I interview marine mammal trainers. 
trainers and I interview the New York carriage folks and I interview the Iditarod dog sled race folks because those are the people vilified by the animal rights community and unfortunately good honest people who are even friends of mine buy into it and they don't they don't understand again that the ASPCA CEO is making over a hundred thousand dollars a year you want to know who's making money on animals it's not animal people it's the animal rights groups with offshore accounts and I'm just tired of it. And that's why I do the podcast. And absolutely. It's just, I just, and, but those folks with animals, with dogs, not exotics, just the average person with a pet, you need to understand that the animal people are being vilified and you're going along with it when you support those groups. And when you support legislation like adopt, don't shop and you put pet stores out of business and all that type of stuff. Hashtag there is more to the story. Always. Yeah, it's not so black and white simple. It's it's a complicated issue. And if you believe there's truly animal abuse, I know, Tommy, I'm going to speak for you here. We'll stand beside you and encourage the prosecution of that. But we, oh, don't, need, sure. we don't need more animal laws. Animal cruelty laws are on the books. All they have to do is be supported. That's it. Support the animal cruelty laws. Utilize them in the right way. You know, when there's true animal abuse, but stop using them for BS and the animal rights groups and all their their media experts and fundraising experts. They're not animal experts. Yeah. I, I say we need uh, to find solutions, not more problems. I, you're you're one thousand percent right. And another story we're going to talk about since I'm on a rant, I might as well just go with it. Um, the SPCA Tampa Bay. We talked about this story on our last podcast: the bullying of the animal rights community, or you know, yeah. they're, they're bullying people. Uh, this gal tried to find a solution to the problem of there are a lot of dogs in shelters that people just it's not the dog they want to take home. That's a reality, regardless of what you're hearing in the media or the animal rights groups, that is a reality. And so she started looking for solutions. Imagine solution-based. And I think you say that all the time. And that's why I love having you as my co-host because it's a dilemma. This is a dilemma. And um, so we're just looking for the best outcome. And then she's vilified and has to back up. And hopefully in the new year, this is the winter of 2023. Um, I will have an opportunity to have the folks who were part of that pilot program on to talk about it and how the good they were doing, attempting to do on the, in the name of animals. Yeah. I think when something like this happens, some uh, dilemma like this occurs, we're sort of conditioned and, and constantly bombarded with, well, it won't work because of this. And well, this is bad. And well, this isn't a hundred percent perfect in every single way. And so we're sort of conditioned to find all of the negative and all of the problem with it. Instead of looking at what problems we're actually solving by having a program. And is that program perfect? No, none of them are. Is our government perfect? No, none of them are. Are we perfect in are, our are homes we, no and in one our businesses? Yeah. yeah. Who's no, above reproach? Exactly. Everybody has issues. Every um, every animal owner is not doing it perfectly. 
um, you know, there, there's always something that you can improve upon, Absolutely. but look for those solutions rather than constantly being bombarded by problem, 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 and then picking apart any solution that somebody has come up with. Yeah. It's just unbelievable because the woman tried hard and met with people and it's been, you know, a long time in coming. Of course, when you roll it out, it sounds like it was just, we just decided this, but of course there was a lot of thought and just really a actual good step in, in a direction towards a solution. And by the way, the program at the, at the base of this canine care certification, what a concept Purdue university of uh, veterinary medicine, Dr. Crony, I believe is her name. Um, I believe spearheaded this, which is breeder certification, right? So breeders are, and they have, as I understand it, the list of breeders willing to be part of the program is longer than the list of inspectors being able to come and look at them to get them into the program. There's a waiting list, right? Because breeders have been so vilified and, you know, well, they can't take care of themselves. They can't, uh, uh, what do you call it, inspect themselves. They can't police themselves. Self-regulate, yeah. Where's the shelter certification? Where is that? That's what I want to know. We vilify breeders. Breeders are coming together under this canine care certification, which was part of this pilot. And uh, there are different groups around the country bringing this together. So that the puppy stores, too, can then understand that these breeders are certified, right? There's a, a puppy store, a, a pet store owner, not a shelter, but he sells puppies. God forbid, what a terrible word, you know, he sells puppies. Guess what? He does pretty well, and he's still in business. He's here in my county because people want to be able to choose the dog. They want some kind of a guarantee, and they want to know where the dogs came from. So contrary to everything about adopt, don't shop, we don't know where puppies come from. I can't get him on the podcast because he's out visiting his breeders right now. Yep. I'm waiting for him to get back. And he's worried about being interviewed. I'm not saying his name for his protection, but because he's so vilified. But but yet lots of people are going to the store to purchase puppies because they want a certain puppy. They want a family dog as a trainer. I tell people often if you have a family and you're truly ready for a puppy and you have the time and money and such, all the details, let a puppy grow up with your family. Sure. It's a great way to go if you're prepared and ready for it, as opposed to bringing a dog in your house that you don't know the background and you have little kids who are going to maybe pull on the dog or do this or that, you know, and you can't, you know, be there to manage every moment of that. Is that the right scenario for you? You know, hire a trainer and let them help you. But I'm not suggesting I want to part people with their money. I'm just suggesting that there are options that you're being kind of told are bad options. Every right. every celebrity and everybody stands up and says, you got to get a shelter dog. But And that's the case with so many things just in our, our general society worldview zoom out the lens and take it off of just pets for a moment. We're constantly vilifying everything, everything you you do, everything. There's nothing good. You can't drive a car anymore unless it's electric, but if you drive an electric car, that's bad too. And if you eat healthy, but it's too expensive 
And then if you, you know, go to the doctor, but you shouldn't go to that doctor, you should go to the naturopath. But if you go to the naturopath, they don't have the drugs. It's every, there's nothing, there's no good option because we're conditioned to look for the bad. Well, the and, media is, is, and the exactly. special interests like the animal rights groups or that, you know, when it comes to vegan or animals, they're all over it. And because by the conflict way, they sells. Multi-million dollars worth. Check out my podcast on Animal Tales about offshore accounts worth millions of dollars. And I just posted online about the ASPCA CEO making over 100000 and their whole top staff making a lot of money. So when you think about people who work with animals in entertainment or sport or whatever it is, you don't have to agree with it. That's fine. But don't vilify it. And those are not the people getting rich. You know, absolutely not. It's uh, when you look at the the ex the expertise of the animal rights group is fundraising and media spinning a narrative and the media, not animal experts. And right. I'm just I'm going to preach it from the rooftops. So that's why I do a podcast. Yeah, because I just I, I all the podcasts I was coming across are all from the coming from the emotional positive reinforcement only all the stuff we talk about. Check out our other podcasts from the the past, you know, the last year. And um, it were very practical, common sense people. That's why I like my friend Tommy here. <laughs> All right, so Tommy, I, you have something I know you wanted to share. Tell me what. Yeah, I have a, a little story for you about uh, dog training. Yeah. Um, there's also horse training involved as well. But um, so I was out at a farm a couple of days ago and working a horse in the round pen and the owner came out with an employee that works on the farm and they had the dog with them as a like a year old uh, shepherd mix and she's a really high energy dog and she's really sweet and generally good natured um, but she's a shepherding breed of some kind and so she wants to chase the horse mm-hmm. so i'm in the round pen with the horse and i'm ignoring the dog completely because it's it's not coming in the the arena with me that's fenced in a way that she can't get in, but she's running back and forth around the, the pen and she's barking and everything. Well, the employee who um, was bothered by the dog, it was very upsetting to her, kept yelling at the dog and I, I say growling at the dog, you know, she was, oh, quit that, quit that, and, and trying to get the dog to quit. The dog was ignoring her. It, it did not even know that she existed, did not care that she was, it was being talked to by that person. And really what ended up happening was because this person was getting so upset at the dog, it actually spooked the horse. Oh, jeez! The dog didn't bother the horse. The person bothered the horse. So I pulled everything up to a stop and I said, wait a second, let's dissect this situation a little bit. Um, Because this is a, a person who works with animals and, thought that she was helping, but she was actually creating a bigger issue. Um, so I just, let's just pull back here a little bit and figure out like, what's the solution again, what's the solution for the problem. Yeah. Um, and I said, you know, what do you think that you are getting accomplished here? And she said, well, I've got to tell that dog, I've got to tell her that she can't do that. I said, well, yes, but what do you have other than your verbal vocal cue? What else do you have? You have no control over that animal. She's running wild right now. She's not on a leash. She's loose on the, which is perfectly fine because she lives on that farm. Yeah. 
well, I have to do something. I said, well, yes, you should get a hold of the dog, have a leash on it, and then you have control of the situation. Or this particular dog has a uh, remote collar that has the the vibrating and the tone and then the shock. Um, And you have a remote for it. Well, the owner of the farm was standing there and she has the remote for the dog. And she's like, well, she should have done that. Yes. But in that scenario, the owner of the dog has control of the situation. Yeah. You are just external noise. Mm -hmm. So we, we had a whole conversation about animal training and, and, um, you know, what, what was the right choice in that, uh, particular scenario? Um, and then it, we got to the point she made the comment, well, I needed to shame the dog for that behavior. Wow. Interesting. I needed, I needed to make the dog feel shame for doing that behavior. And I said, well, that's really interesting because I don't think that a dog feels shame. I don't think that that's a canine emotion. I think that's a human emotion that you're putting on the dog, um, which she disagreed and that's fine. She can have her own opinion. Um, but I was curious if you've experienced this with other dog owners or um, training scenarios where somebody says something like shame or um, puts an emotion onto the animal that doesn't really make sense to you. Yeah. And then how do we explain that to somebody who feels very strongly that the animal does feel that emotion? Wow. That's really interesting. It's not a word shaming because it's something we can do with people, but even then it, it doesn't really work. Yeah. It's really not the right. I mean, if somebody's just so out of control that maybe the only thing you do is kind of embarrass them or shame them, but. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say with animals that would be effective. It's not, it's not a word I've ever used for animals, either embarrass or shame. With um, humans, I, I think it's a sort of a passive aggressive way to deal with something. I agree. Not- I, yeah. Like, and, and like, so the situation you explained, I, I hate it. You don't, you don't seem to mind it, which is fine. I can't train with a dog running around. It's more probably me. And I understand it's a dog you know, if they haven't been told not to. So yeah. my first thought is I, I wouldn't the shame thing, but I wouldn't even really be mad at the dog. No, I would, I'm not I would all. stop. Yeah. I would stop the press. Cause I don't want the dog chasing the horse. I right. don't like that. I just worked with somebody like that and I stopped the horse. I said, you got to tie the dog up. Right. The dog, if he has manners and he has some training, tell him to go lay down. Right. Like right. practice your train. No, Yeah. no, no, you, no, you can't bark. Nope. It doesn't have to get way out of control. It's kind of like raising children. You have to nip these things in the bud before they're like escalated to the point where somebody's angry and it's, and I'm not yeah. telling you that never happens, but I, as I get older, I definitely realize like, let's stop it all and bring it back down. And right. you're, I, I find you unique, which is one of the reasons I chose you to be the a co-host because you're older than your years on that. You have such a, you have a, 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 an affinity for that, which a lot of young people don't to bring it back down and like keep, not get wild and crazy. But I would have asked them to put the dog on a leash or if the woman had the clicker and the dog was trained, I, yeah. I don't mind the clickers. I can't stand them for subverting training, especially right. on a puppy. 
makes they have to be used appropriately. Yes. An old dog that just won't stop barking and you're probably not going to change it. That those help Um, running out in the street off leash. But you got to start with foundation training. Yeah. So I would probably, if anything, be annoyed that the dog didn't have foundation training if that was the case where I couldn't call my dog over and say, come here, stop, sit here. No. Right. And then put a leash on it and let it understand not to get because they get frenzy. Exactly. And, and I, I'm all about distraction. You know, I'll be working a horse. The guy's like, I got to bring my bobcat through or we're hanging. We're putting a new roof on. Yeah, bring it on. I'm like, yep, thanks for telling me, but go, let's do it. You know, yeah. Depending on the horse, I don't always stay safe, but I want yeah, so, that in my training. But this is, to me, that just, it escalates the dog. And I never like to see dogs get that, like, just, ah, you know. So the, the reason I didn't stop the horse or, or bring everything to a halt was that I've been around that dog quite a bit. And she's done a similar thing, but she kind of follows once or twice and then she'll go like, she, yeah, she well, gives up. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So yep. I was kind of just waiting for the dog to wear herself yeah. out. And again, we go back to that operant conditioning idea. It was the negative punishment. I yes. was ignoring the problem yeah, so that she didn't get any benefit from it. Right. Um, and then she gives up on it and leaves it alone. And then the behavior extinguishes itself. Right. So I was going that direction. The, the problem in that scenario though, was that then the other person was adding energy. Yeah. Yeah. So she was it really was, kind of amping the dog up. I agree. Yeah. Um, so, but it was an interesting then discussion of, yeah, well, that is interesting. Shame. shame. Yeah. So I, I did Google it. Um, I mean, we had a, a big discussion about it, but then I wanted to go back and check and see, well, is there any sort of, you know, studied basis on yeah. emotions and dogs and does this happen? And basically every resource that I found was that no dogs do not feel shame. Yeah. Um, they have some very basic emotions, um, you know, general excitement, um, contentment. We, we say instead of happiness, we don't, happy is not yeah. really a great animal word, but content um, fear for sure. There's, there's fear. Um, but when you get to secondary emotions and more complicated things like shame or guilt, that really is not something that's been observed. Um, but what has been put out there quite a bit is, um, you know, little video clips and reels of the dog looking shameful, the yeah. lock, you know, that, that kind of the pictures and, um, I, I think of things that went around Facebook where they put a little, uh, necklace on the dog with a sign that says, you know, I, I yeah, yeah, Santa's I, cookies is the right. most one. Yeah. Um, and, and so then that's where the, the sort of shame your dog sort of thing came from. But it, again, it's very commercialized. It's very from the press kind of idea. Um, and it's not really science-based at all. Yeah. Uh, so anything scientific based that I found resource wise said, no, dogs don't feel those kinds of emotions. Um, but then several of them pointed out that there are a lot of um, threads and things out there on social medias and, and things like that. Where perpetuating this perpetuating notion. This. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, then there's the, the expression on the dog's face that maybe looks or that we are inferring looks a certain way, but in reality they are, reacting yeah. to your reaction 
Yeah. They are reacting to the energy that you're putting out. Uh, they are worried, fearful, or uh, trying to change your behavior so that they don't either get in trouble or, you know, they're fearing a, a repercussion. Or get what they want, right? All yeah, of those exactly. scenarios. I, I think of the word anthropomorphizing when you're saying Absolutely. that because we look at them and we, that expression says, this is how we would feel if we looked like that. Exactly. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And we read into that incorrectly i think really really often oh it's that they're absolute commercialization of that i always say and i have it on one of my facebook pages but it's an older post um so when some sarah brightman or somebody singing a very sad song and the humane society of the united states has a donate now and there's a dog with the the metal kennel Uh uh-huh and the dog looks very sad right right and I don't dismiss, I don't want animals not to be taken care of. So it's, that's always the starting point. But I have a picture. I put my dog, because I'm a, I'm a believe in kennels. I, it's absolutely yeah. responsible training. It keeps your dog safe, keeps them comfortable when chaos is about. That's where they want to go and they feel like they can have a little control over their environment. So I put my dog in the cage and he's looking at me. Like what some people would say a sad face is just a face. It's probably give me a treat or feed right. me a face. And if I put sad music, I got the same thing. I despise that stuff because it's we're buying just as I opened the podcast today and I'm upset about the emotion and trying to tell people you want to see real emotion. See people, you know, see this gal whose animals were euthanized at the zoo and she wasn't allowed to be part of it. That's emotion. That's animal yeah. That's real animal emotion. This baloney with creating these commercials and vignettes and and like this person decides now dogs can be shamed. That's just the, the, the capitalization of the animal rights groups parting you with your money. And, you know, so it's it's just BS, you know. Yes. But, yeah, you got to, you know, anthropomorphizing putting human emotion and we just do that how often do you or i go to a stable because we both work with horses and say you know, or someone will come and say they look sad or that kind yeah. of thing you know and i always say people the animals don't overthink it we'd be we'd be better off if we didn't right they don't multitask and they don't overthink it it's Correct. just pretty raw it's raw instinct and if they're and very direct yeah, if they're a preyed upon animal, their their whole job is looking around and make sure they're not getting get eaten that day. And then where is their food coming from? And if they're an animal that preys, they're worried about their food and maybe holding their ground in their hierarchy. You know, that's right. I mean, who's the boss? That's what you know. To me, Absolutely. that's what I see when I'm working with animals. And when we just step up and show leadership and they they respond so beautifully and so nicely and then we develop their personalities that way it's i mean it's just it's so nice my father is so eloquent about talking about getting in their brain and help understanding them not to change them but to help understand them and then bring them along in a foundation so they have basic manners yeah. So everybody's safe, including the animal. They don't end up in harm's way because they know how to behave. And so that's, that's the school I come from. Likewise. Yeah. 
Interesting. I really, uh, you told me, you mentioned the word shame, but you just was a little teaser. You didn't tell me what, and I appreciate that. That was a really, really interesting piece. But yeah, I would have stopped the dog from running. It's more me though. I know it doesn't necessarily affect the horse, but I don't like barking dogs. And yeah, can you stay focused in the Yeah. So then the horse is going to feed off of me. Right. So I, I'm very cognizant of that's why I stopped the dog from running because it ticks me off. Yeah. It doesn't affect the horse. And typically if I'm at somebody's place and their dog does it, the horses have already experienced it. Right. They're not bothered by it, but I don't get upset. I just stop and say, I want to tie the dog up or send the dog out. Or if the owner was standing there, I'd be like, you know, control of your dog. And if they couldn't, we'd have a little session. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the interesting thing. I'm, I'm there and I'm hired to train the horse. But really, in that moment, I've got to stop and train the people, people. and the dog and then go back to the horse so I can get that's all the parts and pieces where they need to go. My husband was a school teacher for a short period of time. And he said, he, he didn't feel like he was teaching algebra. He felt like his parent-teacher conferences were parenting. Yeah. You know? So, parenting the parents. Like, yeah, algebra was like second on the list or third, but it like, you know, how do I make my child do this? Or how do I make, yeah. you know, like, it's like parenting 101. So interesting. There you go. Yeah. I want to talk a little bit about resource guarding today um, because it's something I'm encountering almost all the time, Um, whether it's a client I have or just friends or I hear other people talking, you know, you're in a conversation and because we're always talking about our animals at this point. I mean, they're just so primary and front and center. Um, I'll hear people say, oh, or online too. I'm on some threads I need to not be on because I get all worked up. (laughs) I have to, Facebook allows you to snooze for 30 days. Oh, yes. Or just get off it all together. So I snooze for 30 days, see if I'm better, 30 days, snooze again, and then finally I just go off it, you know. I like the unfollow button. Yeah, it's very helpful. Because the advice, it's not the question that bothers me. Somebody's asking an interesting question about it. My dog uh, resource guards his food, or me, or the door, like, they pick specific instances. It's the answers they get that upset me yes. um, from so-called trainers. So um, I, my approach with resource guarding, I never heard it called that. I, you know, again, just different terminology I grew up with in a training family, but um, I don't, I believe if they'll do it for the food or for the woman or whatever, the owner, They'll do. It's just a matter of time before they become more aggressive. It's the early sign. of. I don't think we know how to read our animals. Well, I see that all the time because I'm encounter when I'm walking my big dog, Otis, by the way, I haven't heard about Jimmy Dean for a while. So you have to work him in today. (laughs) Um, Otis, the big poodle. I, I really get nervous walking him because people allow their dog to come over to him. And we've got bigger, you know, breeds at this point. Breeds is, if you've listened to the podcast, you know that I don't dislike pit bulls, but I have a, a healthy fear of Ro- Do- Rottweilers, Dobermans, pit bulls because of the way people are not training them and consequently able to handle them in various circumstances. And they're big, strong dogs. And not everybody's that strong to hold on to them. So I 
you know, I worry about that because I am concerned they're going to come over and, you know, but they want to visit and just, just get weary of. So back to the resource guarding women will say, well, when someone comes to me that my dog gets between us and I say, that's not good. You need to be able to, it's fine if they just look up at you, like you need my help here. And you say, I got this. Thank you. And the dog should come back. What people would call heel, but come back to your side, not stay, give the stink eye to the person coming at you because they're going to bite somebody. Or if you can't pick up the food bowl because the dog is guarding it, they're going to, that's going to turn into a different type of aggression. They just, people just don't read the signs. That's what I was going on the walking. They're not reading the signs. Well, oh, he's wagging his tail. Yeah. So I just feel like people aren't reading their animals well. And when I hear resource guarding on a particular issue, um, I think that's just a time waiting to happen for that to expand to to get more aggressive. I feel like it's a test. That's oh, absolutely, yeah. I don't know if you agree with that. Well, I think, as we always say, it goes back to a lack of foundation. Yeah. It goes back to an animal that feels insecure, an animal that feels um, either that they need to be the highest in the hierarchy or that somebody else just isn't taking that role. Yeah. Um, and then just a total lack of foundational training so that you can have the communication to work with that animal and make it feel more secure in its environment. Yeah. Um, you know, that's a, a big thing, which is another, I mean, it all relates back to uh, how you get your dog and, and what kind of dog you get. And mm -hmm. do you get it from a shelter? Do you get it from a breeder? And do you know, it's history and all of that. Um, yeah. And then the, the lack of ability for people to really read accurately what the behaviors the dog is exhibiting. Yeah. People don't read their animals very well. No. Um, you know, I think back to um, back when we first met in Kentucky and we're at Corolla's house and have, we have all the dogs and just having a good time. And we would do voices for the dogs about what they were thinking, oh, yeah. and what they were, would say. But the reason it was so entertaining is because it was so accurate. Because all of the people that were in that environment really knew the dogs and really knew their behavior. good animal, very good solid animal, animal, animal people. people. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so it was always really fun, was, uh, yeah. and we would joke about uh, the uh, you know what the the animals were thinking or what they would be saying. But and I, I don't really mind it when people do that because I do it for animals all the time. What I mind is when they get it wrong. <laughs> I like when, when they, they say something, Oh, the dog is saying this. No, it's not. Yeah. It's absolutely not saying that at all. Um, <laughs> you know, that's what really bothers me. I don't yeah. mind to sort of anthropomorphize in that way. If you're pretty accurate about what's actually happening in that animal's brain. But it's when you, so true. It's funny, when you're yeah. really disconnected from it and you, you know, the, and then this is what uh, a lot of the average public, I think, because they're they're given the disnified version yeah. of animals uh, mm -hmm. and the overhumanized version of it. Yeah, the, their, their sentiment is not at all accurate. 
it's not at all truthful to what that animal's experience is. Yeah. And Probably a common, yeah, a common one is um, if they gave a voice to like a nervous animal, they, whether they give a voice to it or just write it off, oh, he's just a nervous animal. When I might look at him and say, he's begging for training so that he can find confidence. Yeah. You know, writing him off as a nervous animal. Oh, it's scary. You know, I, I use that voice for Otis right now. But then I say, you're fine, Otis. You're fine. Yeah. You know, like. Get up. Let's I, go. Yeah. I, I like kind of laugh with him. And then I say, but we're going to change that. Yeah. Of, you know, someone else. That's why I'm so committed to Otis because I'm so afraid somebody would um, just write him off as a nervous dog and he'd just feed on that and be mm-hmm. a nervous puddle of energy his whole life. And, yeah. you know, so it, it, it comes together there for me, but Oh, those were fun times. for sure. <laughs> you, well, you, have I, a real, you have a real talent for that, by the way. <laughs> I've heard that a few times. Um, <laughs> I think about a dog like Otis, that's naturally nervous and, and had a history that didn't help him get confident. Yeah. His end game, right? His, his ultimate, he's probably always going to be a little nervous. Do, does he have the tools to deal with that? Yeah. Right. And so there's a big difference between a, a dog that is nervous, but has tools and resources and uh, can feed off of the confidence of a handler versus a dog that is, naturally nervous and then has absolutely no way to interact with this environment. Right. Literally doesn't know. Not only that, but sometimes even reinforces the nervousness and just keeps them neurotic. And yeah. that's, that's what I, I see so much of. Yeah. Otis, I just give, put my shoulders back and he's coming along, you know, he's doing really well. And his was lack of training. Absolutely. Somebody would have absolutely said, oh, he got beat on or something because he he cowers right away when he gets nervous. Mm-hmm. I'm certain he wasn't beat on. You know what I mean? He just had no training and he's so he's very insecure. But he he once in a while just stands up straight now. And it's so fun to watch. You know? Yeah. And we're you just bring out that confidence and that. Um, yeah. Yeah. That my whole goal in life is just to keep re- letting him know he's good and you know, just keep reinforcing that. And you'll get to meet him soon, hopefully. Yeah. Yeah, I'm excited about that. I was talking with another trainer friend of mine uh, today, and we were talking about the the confidence that you have to exude as an animal trainer. Yeah. You really have to believe that, one, you know what you're doing, two, that the choices you're making are correct um, in order to make the animal believe that. And then if you're also training a human how to work with them, to get the human on board with doing it that way. Yeah. Um, so there's a, a certain amount of confidence that people like you and I, who have done this for a very long time sort of exude. Um, and then that kind of gets us in trouble with other humans because <laughs> people are backed off by that because so many people are not confident and not yeah. reassured in of themselves. Biggest problem I have with my training clients is cause the dog, when I get there, it'll stop barking uh-huh. or it'll like come here. You know, if I know it knows how to come and it's playing its game, they do what I need them to do. But, and I, it sometimes that helps explain to my customers, like that's it's put your shoulders back 
everybody's just, well, the narrative, I don't, I feel bad for people because it's such a mixed message. Cause as we just said, the narrative is, Oh, just warm and fuzzy. And you don't, you don't want them to be submissive. That's terrible. If we want to be in charge, why can't we just all get along? Well, it just doesn't work that way. That's we, not how you, anything works. Right. But that's the current narrative. And you actually, the thing about animal training, and I don't even know if I could articulate it. And I've talked to uh, human psychologists and psychiatrists about this because I'm so intrigued with the, the mind mechanism and the psychology of it. And I didn't take psychology, but I learned it from my dad in a, in a very raw way. But the thing I find interesting is when you show leadership, it makes the, the animal and even as a parent, the child more confident. Absolutely. You don't want to be uh, what would be the like way over the top of leadership. I can't think of the word where you're like you, you're um, smothering them with leadership, but just a solid, confident leader who's encouraging your animal just to do better and come up and setting the bar high. Right. Setting the bar high, saying, you can do this. You're going to walk by the horse. You're going to walk by this yellow raincoat and it's, you know, it's not going to eat you. The dog, you're going to, you know, walk through that door and it's not going to slam on you or, and you just keep telling them it's okay. And they start to believe it. I explain it to people. um, It's like being, uh, when you work for a job, work for a company, um, you can have a boss that is quietly confident that, you know, explains what they want, gives you the directive and then lets you do the job. Yeah. Or you can have the boss that is not confident, is worried, is constantly second guessing, is micromanaging. And then they come off as rude and mean and difficult to deal with. And the team underneath them is chaos. Yeah. It's a great analogy, Tom, Tommy, because I think people can relate to that because we all, you know, have we've all experienced that in some kind of organization. Right. So that's exactly what you're giving to your animal in the way of leadership. Are you the micromanager? Are you the, I'm not leading at all. I'm just like willy nilly or am I quiet and confident? And consequently I have a solid team. I give people the benefit of the doubt. That's exactly the leadership that gets animals to a place where they're just wonderful. They're confident that they're content. And um, those are not the animals that come into harm's way. There you go. That's the biggest lesson of all of this. You don't have a crystal ball. If you're, if something happens to you, will your animals be okay? That's what you should be thinking about. Not how it's going at this moment, but are you creating a content well-trained animal who will deal with whatever comes their way. Absolutely. That's that's my entire goal. And the animals are always content and do fine. Better off for it. Yeah. Well, they're they're good. We've been, we've taken a loop all over here. (laughs) A lot of good information. Just listen to it in sections for those folks listening. Yeah. Take this little piece, then that little piece. We're solving all of the world's problems. Yeah. We're on a roll today. Um, all right, good. I think uh, a lot of good information there for sure. I am uh, taking the pet peeve today. All right. And I think I've probably uh, ranted the whole beginning of the podcast about it, but I'm just going to wrap it up and reiterate that 
it's fine to love and care for your animal, but the emotion is not as not healthy for them. You have to be practical and pragmatic. And if you want to see real emotion, you have to understand what's going on in this world with people who work with the animals and how they're vilified and that you have to see their emotion to understand how, how important that is that you stop listening to the people who aren't the animal experts. It might be very convoluted what I said, but I think we got the gist. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So So I have the trainer tip then. Yes. So back to my story about the dog chasing the horse. Um, If you're going to make an effective uh, training aid, meaning either a vocal cue or a stimulus of whatever kind, you have to have control of the situation. You cannot be in complete chaos. Uh, You cannot have the dog in a completely wide open space. We've said it many times before we start small, we start in a living room, we start in a backyard, we start with as few distractions as possible. Yeah. When you get into a bigger, louder, more chaotic environment, you have to take more control. Um, so if you have a situation like that, you have to put a leash on the dog in order to be at all effective. So control the chaos before you're an effective training. Excellent. I would go a step further and at home, I role play so many things, knocks on the door, the UPS guy coming instead of saying, Oh, he might come today. I have a neighbor do something. So yeah, you know, role play, role play those situations and be ready to step in and back it all up if it's not working. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, excellent. That's our. We're always testing, right? Absolutely. My dad was. That was probably such a great thing I was taught by my dad that we do our training and when we feel like we've gotten over a particular hurdle or hump or made strides, we kind of move to the next one. But if we see it start to. You can't back away too soon, but if you see it start to go south, you got to rethink it and back up and say, what did I mm-hmm. miss in my foundation? Holes in the foundation. We like that. There you go. Yeah. So, all right, Tommy, um, as always, I thank you. And uh, again, a lot of good information here. We were just on a roll today. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good conversation. It was. We'll break it down. And that's the that was the goal of this podcast. There's a lot of dog and animal podcasts out there but they come from the very emotional narrative and i just wanted to provide something that was more practical and we're not telling you we have all the answers we do both of us have a lifetime of experience but what we do have is just giving you another way to think about it when the narrative is something else and so you're not crazy to think there might be a better or another way so That, that was the goal. So hopefully we're helping you with that. So Find more solutions and fewer problems. There you go. Right. And uh, so I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, subscribe to the podcast. Hit that little subscribe. Rate and review the podcast. And please share it. It's important. You know, we'd like this information to be available to more folks. So please share it with your friends. And um, we hope you'll join us next time for a lot more doggone good information. We have a lot more coming. 